1: It is buzzing out there. <laughs> we found a quiet corner to catch up with David Blitzer. He wears a couple different hats, co-owner of the 76ers, among other teams. We're focused on the 76ers just because we're talking NBA, but also you got a big job at Blackstone running ops. So let's start talking about basketball. First of all, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Nice, nice to, to visit be here. Today. Thanks,
2: Jason Carroll.
1: All right, so the NBA today, technology, Help us understand how it has changed the game from an owner's perspective.
2: Well first again, thanks uh, for having me on. It's incredible to be here. Um, the Tech Summit and the overall All-Star Weekend is, is always so much fun. Um, and if you think about the Tech Summit, and I know you've seen a lot of different people today in, in terms of you know, the convergence of what's happening between what's happening with the players on the court, what's happening with them off of the court, and their engagement with their global fan base has absolutely just completely exploded in the age of social media. Um, And there's been a lot of interesting commentary even uh, at at some of the um, uh, sessions this morning about how much that has changed and how quickly, et cetera. But I'll just say from my perspective in in, in watching this connection, um, I would say over the past, I mean, each year grows so dramatically. Uh, there's no doubt. And we have some uh, very colorful uh, players that um, really, really seem to dominate uh, social media as well as on the court. Um, so it's fun to sort of watch that engagement. But it's, you know, it's just gone strength to strength. And if you look at the, you know, the global nature of the game, mm-hmm. how that couples with the incredible performance and athleticism with what's on the court, um, and frankly, it's giving folks at home
1: and around the world what they want. It does feel like the league and the owners, for the most part, have not just sort of allowed this to happen, but enabled it to happen. Absolutely. How and why? Well, look,
2: I think Adam Silver and the entire management team at the NBA is incredible, okay? And I think um, they saw this, and they saw it early, and they saw that the connection that could be made between the league and the players with the fan base, given what was going on from a distribution standpoint in terms of how people are, were consuming media, are consuming media, and where, more importantly, where the trend was going, uh, I think they, they nailed it, uh, and they continue I mean, yeah, to.
0: It's fascinating, because this summit's been going on for 20 years, right? A tech summit 20 yep. years ago. Who would have thought that this is where we'd be, kind of be today? And Adam was on it.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it was funny. I was just talking to one of our partners, Michael Rubin, um, who was trying to remember? I think he's he's been on a panel at every summit. He's trying to figure out whether it was nineteen years or yeah. twenty years. Right. Um, again, just ahead of the curve.
0: How does technology change the business opportunities of owning an NBA team?
2: I mean, it's changing in so many different ways. You know, I mean, we talked a lot about the social media dynamics and the players' connection uh, with the fan base, and just if you think about some of the content. So I don't know, but it wasn't that long ago where Joel Embiid was literally walking down the street. Okay and somebody was, like, talking trash to him on a, on a playground court. So Joel just walks over there, just dunks on the kid, <laughs> and it just goes completely viral, yeah. right? Literally, globally. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't set up. Like, A, that's Joel, and B, that's, that's the dynamic that's out there right now with, with uh, what the players, et cetera, can do. So that's kind of one area. You obviously, from a, a new arena and what's going on inside, um is incredible from a technology standpoint if you go out and see the sacramento kings new arena Mm -hmm. and i cannot wait to see the golden state warriors new arena uh, the technology and the systems that are going in and the engagement that they will have again with the fan base is uh is incredible so i mean we're seeing technology change just about everything that we do i'm talking much more broadly right and then we kind of bring it into you know the sports scene and particularly here in the nba It's great.
0: Well, and it's also opened up the rest of the world.
2: Exactly. Right? Well, I think the NBA is the most most global game. Yeah. And, again, it continues to go from strength to strength. And and we had the opportunity uh, and the pleasure of playing two preseason games in China this year. And I have to tell you that that it's amazing. I mean, A, just the excitement that that was driving in China. Um, I mean, walking out of our hotel and the people that were around and in the arenas and just the numbers – because the sheer numbers are so massive. But to think about the ability to connect with that fan in northern China from the court in Philadelphia or Boston or pick your, you know, pick your arena, you know, it's amazing. Yeah.
1: So the players have gotten big. Uh, in every way. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it feels like maybe bigger than their teams. It feels like the only analog out there, and this is one you're familiar with because your group also owns a soccer team, Crystal yes. Palace. Uh, do players get too big ultimately for their teams? How much do you worry about that in this day and age?
2: I really, I really don't. Um, the reality is is absolutely the players are building their personal brands. And, and, and there was an interesting discussion on that today, actually. Um, and I think what the players are able to do, partly it's about building their brands and being able to engage with that fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is, in my opinion, being able to talk to the world about things that are really important to them. And it goes well beyond the sport, okay? So, you know, things of a charitable nature and things that relate to, you know, causes that they're incredibly focused on and the ability for the fans, um, and forget just basketball fans. I just mean, you know, to engage and understand. Like Magic Johnson was talking a little bit about what it's like today as a player versus when he was growing up. I was a huge Magic Johnson fan. I tried to learn everything I could about Magic Johnson, and the amount of information that I had in the 80s on Magic Johnson versus the amount of information I have today on LeBron James is, is radically different, right? And so people's ability to really understand the player and what's important to them off the court as much as on the court, I think is really amazing.
1: All right, we got to, we we, gotta
0: all right, we got to talk markets about it. We got to talk a
1: little Blackstone, a <laughs> little markets. Sure. It is your day job, uh, after all. Day and night it's, job. Steve Schwartzman and John Gray, <laughs> you know, they do they, they do pay you to do this. Uh, what do you look at from a market perspective? What do you see out there? And I'm especially interested in what you see in Europe because you worked there for a while. Yeah. Let's talk about Brexit just for a second. Sure. Are you a buyer in, uh, in the U.K. and Europe right now?
2: Um. Well, look, A, we have significant investments in, in the U.K., and we're very comfortable with the businesses that we're, we're invested in the U.K. I don't think any of us know what's going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, pull up some odds, and uh, everybody's <laughs> got a slightly different view. there right, The present yeah, an opportunity? not quite yet. Yeah. Not- I, I actually think that, that things will work themselves through. Yeah. I do, and I think the U.K. is very resilient. It's a great market uh, economy, et cetera, but it's bumpy. Okay, and there are going to be times where I think from a just a valuation standpoint, um, where you might be wanting to jump in in different asset classes or industries relative to uh, them having traded down uh, quite dramatically. I don't feel like that's necessarily the case right now. Things okay. are down a bit, um, but not dramatically. And um, so we're, we're looking closely.
0: You are looking closely. What Absolutely. About, where are we in the United States? I think we're all trying to we're figure great, out.
2: Well, I think economically, from a macro perspective, I think we're in a very good place. I think the reality is we continue to see strong growth. Yeah. Um, I think you know we can all debate exactly on interest rates, but things feel you know quite uh, quite calm right now in terms of that cost of capital um, and policy from that standpoint. And we see earnings growth across all of our companies. They're doing very well. One of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about um, really are a, looking around corners, like what aren't we seeing, right, that can, that can come up. We spent a lot of time thinking about inflation um, and wage growth and, you know, the ability to have pricing power in a variety of different businesses and a variety inflation, of different industries.
0: David, inflation becoming more of a problem? Correct. Yeah.
2: Correct. Do you guys, yeah, go ahead. If you think about uh, the fourth quarter of last year as rates were starting to move up and what the effects that might have as it relates to inflation, that effect on a variety of industries broadly and then obviously specific companies is is something we spend a lot of time thinking about.
1: So running tech ops, the world is kind of your oyster. I mean, this is like the coolest job in investing in many people's minds because you have have this huge arsenal that, that you can put to work, more patient capital. Give us an idea of where some semblance of a majority of that capital is going at this point. What sorts of opportunities are out there because you can be, as the name says, technical.
0: And right. are there a lot right now? <laughs>
1: there are. It's
2: not, I mean, look, the investment environment, we, we could go, we don't have enough time to go through all of yeah. the different yeah. areas. You know, we have a, a, an amazing business in the sense that we really can play across everything, industry-wise, capital structure-wise, geography-wise, uh, within our business. Um, and then obviously. There are different points in time where different subsectors, et cetera, uh, are super attractive to us. And that could be for value, just purely valuation reasons, and it could also be for where we think those industries are going. So, as an example, we spend a ton of time uh, in the telecom space, and mm. so spectrum and towers and data centers mm-hmm. and fiber, and none of that is like dramatic, right? We all know what's happening in terms of data of explosion and how people are utilizing and you know, their devices in, in everyday life. Uh, so we all know that the growth is there, but the ability for us to find different investments within that space across the globe has been uh, a ton of fun. But I'd say the biggest thing that we're doing right now is, is probably structured equity. Huh. So we're going in equity situations where we're helping companies grow, and that can be organically, it can be an M&A strategy, it can be a variety of things, but they need our capital and our partnership to achieve their goals, but we're generally going in above the common equity and below some, you know, level of of debt capital. We're kind of that middle capital layer. And we think that's a terrific place to be. 30 seconds
1: left, biggest single opportunity beyond what you've said in 2019 globally. Wow. Um,
2: We're spending a ton of time looking at technology, and what it is doing to businesses where we can be offensive. Of course, we think about it defensively. Where we can be offensive to think about the tech disruption and what we can do with many of our businesses to drive that future growth. And frankly, in some cases, the business models are changing in front of our eyes.
0: And again, you're finding opportunities a fair amount there. We are. With good valuations.
2: (laughs) Decent valuations.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well said. David Blitzer, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. David Blitzer of Blackstone, of course, the 76ers. This is
3: Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio.
0: So from NBA player Jason to team owner and more, Grant Hill, he has done it all. NBA Hall of Famer, NBA All-Star, Vice Chair Co-Owner of the Atlanta Hawks, and he talked with us on creating a better experience for the NBA fan.
3: Here he is. Particularly in Atlanta, in our market, where uh, you know, most of our uh, customers, our fans, are millennials. And, and so how do you attract, how do you talk to that, to that target Uh, audience and so we recently went through uh, an arena renovation Mm -hmm. and and one of the things that we noticed is that uh, you know with technology uh, you know Millennials are obviously very much engaged very much you know digital currency is 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 their thing and so uh, whereas before maybe you'd go on uh, your mobile device and check your emails during a game or maybe check the scores uh, now you're so much into uploading your experience up, you know, that's what millennials, that's what, I'm not a millennial, I do that sometimes too. <laughs> we um, all do. Yeah, we all do. But I mean, that's how we live now and that's how technology has disrupted our industry in sports. So increasing the bandwidth in our arena to accommodate that right. so it can be a pleasurable experience. That's just sort of one of many examples I think that we've tried to sort of introduce uh, in terms of providing and, ta- and, and, and speaking to and, uh, and, and creating a, a wonderful in-game experience. The end of the day, we're all trying to get people off their phones, out of their homes, and into our building. And so what can we do to attract those type of uh, those type of customers and so you I know think it's we, funny
0: Mark Cuban was just talking about it on a panel and he said you don't, when you're at a game too though you don't want people looking down right you want them engaged in the game so it's like this balance
3: right it, it is a balance because one you wanna so if you go to a game I think you can see this at any NBA arena and I also moonlight do some television and, and broadcast games and so when the game is not going on and there's a timeout or a stoppage of play there's music there's skits on the court there's so it's constantly being stimulated constantly keeping you engaged which is important but we also recognize that not just sharing with those that are there with you, you wanna share with your entire network. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna be on Instagram, you're gonna be on Snapchat, you're gonna be uh, you know, to all your friends, whether that's 20 or 20,000, yeah. and that's part of how we live. And so we have to adapt and adjust and accommodate, and that's what we try to do.
1: So another group that has certainly embraced technology are NBA players. I mean, you have these mega brands, maybe bigger than in any other sport. It feels like the NBA and a lot of the Owners ha- have enabled that, you know, maybe with a little bit of a gimlet eye toward, we don't know how this is going to go. How do you guys think about players, social media, and these brands that they're building using tech?
3: Well, I mean, I think we're, as a league, I think it starts with Adam Silver. I mean, we, you know, we, technology summit. This has been his baby for 20 years and, uh, and it's grown and it's evolved. Um, but I think, first of all, just the league in itself and how the, the, the league markets its players, uh, you see our faces. You know, the, It's more about the individual necessarily than the team. Mm. And, and so LeBron James or, or Chris Paul or James Harden, as a fan, you feel like you know them. You feel like you know Michael Jordan long before the technology boom. And, I mean, he was well known and recognized all over the world, and so this only magnifies that. And the league has really embraced technology and used it to spread and, and its 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 message, but also grow its business. And so, yeah, to have players now understand uh, that they can speak directly to an audience to their fans. Uh, I also think it, it, it encourages them and, and sort of contributes to their desire to speak out on things and right. social injustices, and we've seen that uh, in our league. And,
0: well, what's uh, the balance there? Because, you know, we talk about that a lot in terms of you guys have an amazing platform through your players, through your owners, you know, through your viewers. And I just wonder when you think about social activism and all of the things that are going on, whether it's politically or just within our world at large, what's your responsibility as an
3: owner? Well, I mean, as an owner, you want to be informed and and, uh, obviously you you want to uh, be authentic and you want to, you know, look, I I work with Tony Ressler, who's our managing partner, and there have been things that have happened, uh, you know, in society during the course of our ownership. And one of the things that we discussed, look, you know, it's okay. Like, you know, speak from the heart, but just, you know, obviously, want to make sure you're informed and educated, and that goes for the players as well. The great thing, though, about technology, uh, unlike 25, 30 years ago, now you have access to information. So when I played in Detroit, if something happened in Cleveland, I might not know about it. I might not be aware. Yeah. But now, instantaneously, you, you can find out. And you have uh, the ability to, to really learn and, and, and form an opinion and a thought. And so whether you're a player or an owner, uh, you just want to be responsible. Uh, you want And, and I, I've done that. I'm on social media. I've, I've spoken out. I've, you, know, you, you can go on my page and right. know how I you feel have. about everything. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and so, but, but it is a balance because we also understand that we have customers who don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, um, you know, you, you want to be cognizant of that. You want to be aware of that. Uh, but through it all, I do think sports is beautiful in that you can have different sides of the aisle who may not agree on anything in life, but they're going to come to an Atlanta Hawks game and support and, 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 and cheer uh, and, and, and be totally vested in that team. And when you win and you go through a championship experience, uh, it's magical. It can bring people together. So I do think sports can play a role yeah. right. in, in healing in, in a lot of ways.
1: Single biggest thing that's changed for players today since you were a player.
3: Wow. So I think one of the big things, and it, as it applies to me, is there's such an emphasis now on rest, on recovery, mm-hmm. on... Um, and that's not the biggest thing, but you know, obviously, I had a lot of injuries throughout my career. And do you was... feel
0: like if you had had more rest back then, that you wouldn't have had so many injuries?
3: Yeah, I, you know, there was a there was a school of thought back in the day that you know you play through anything. Yeah, and and you know what, you're hurt, you just tape it up and go. Yeah, and 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 now I think as an organization, as owners, uh, as a basketball operations department, you know, you think big picture, and and you'd rather. Um, rest, you know, take a week off. Uh, I know a lot of the old heads like me resent that, but I think it's really a good thing and, and because there's always this pressure to play, and players put that on themselves, and sometimes we need controls in place to protect the player from themselves. And so I wish I had that. I wish right. that I, had, I was in that environment that maybe I could have avoided a lot of the injuries I went through.
0: And that was Grant Hill, of course, uh, vice chair, co-owner of the Atlanta Hawks, former NBA uh, Hall of Famer and NBA All-Star. And I thought it was interesting what he said about injuries because really in some of his later years he had a ton of injuries that sidelined him. And he said now you know, there's a lot more awareness in terms of how much a player is playing out on the court and kind of taking care of their health is, has become very important.
1: I also found so fascinating what he said about the ownership's decision, I think, very much in the spirit of what they're hearing from the commissioner and from the league, essentially saying to players, feel free to be out there, be smart, be informed, which I have to say, very different from what we hear from other leagues, and most notably the NFL, which has not been consistent on that. The owners have not been consistent, but every single owner we talk to today-
0: Activism they and, and taking a stand. They
1: are essentially saying, look- We got to get behind it like we can either sort of get behind this uh, or uh, it's going to happen without us. And we might as well get involved uh, and be and and be proactive. So I think that's a that's a really important point that we heard consistently. And you're going to hear more of that uh, in the conversations we have coming up.
3: This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio
1: down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Carol, we kicked off the day with Amy Brooks. She's mm-hmm. the president of a, of a very specific and important division of the NBA. She's also the chief innovation officer. So she understands the whole scope of the enterprise. It's global and it is tech savvy. Take a listen.
4: It's exciting for us because only 1% of our fans globally will ever come to a game. So we have to embrace 100%. technology. 1% as such a global sport Look, our games are here and so we have to embrace technology we're very fortunate because our players embrace social media and they are great global brands amongst themselves and so we do everything we can to, to capture the emotion around the game and, and and send it out globally.
1: The NBA has done a phenomenal job with developing those brands and kind of giving the players it feels like a little bit of space. How do you balance that because you've got some big personalities and as you say with a massive social media footprint in a lot of cases.
4: Absolutely, I, I mean we see our games on TV as meals and social media and all of the content as snacks so our players are out there developing content, our teams are developing content and we the league are developing content so we have 1.5 billion followers amongst players, teams and the league and our job is just engage fans globally in every way we can. And different platforms and testing and learning is a big part of that. But
0: where's the most growth? Because, like, we talk about eSports a lot. And I think they talk about it being, like, a billion-dollar business by 2020.
4: Where's the biggest growth? Well, we see eSports as a great way, again, going back to the global opportunity to engage our fans. We see the potential of having an eSports team internationally and that's much harder to do with the the NBA so we see that as a fantastic opportunity.
0: You've got a lot of owners who come out and I think we're living in such a political social activist world. How do you balance letting players and owners of teams express their opinions or help kind of balance those situations with also kind of managing a huge industry in a league?
4: Yeah it's it's important to give players and owners but especially our players a, a platform by which they can use their voice and speak out at whatever cost is important to them we want to make sure we feel they feel supported um, obviously diversity is is a core value of the NBA and we're, we really want to embrace our players and, and enable them to freely speak
1: talk about the WNBA and sort of the opportunities there how it fits in where you see the most growth
4: yeah, it's, you know, it's important to me, especially as a woman, that I work for a league that embraces not just diversity of our players in the NBA, but we have our own that's women's great. professional league. And we see tremendous potential for this. It's, it's a league that's been around for over 20 years, but we think that in today's society, it's really prime for capturing a new audience as well, for people who care about progressive women and what women are doing, not just on the court, but off the court. What
0: are the other different methods that you guys are embracing in terms of getting the brands out there? And I think about, was it a couple of years started doing kind of sponsor logos yes. uh, on um, uniforms? And so like, where does
4: this all go? Yeah. So we, we call it the Jersey patch and yes. we launched this for the first time last season. We now have 29 teams that have a partner on their jersey and we've been tremendously pleased with this program because we didn't know who was going to come, how this is going to work. And we now have two thirds of these partners are brand new to the NBA, we have some fantastic Fantastic brands like Disney, GE, Harley-Davidson, and also endemic brands to that team and that city. Most of these companies are based locally in those markets, but they're global brands.
1: So when you think about technology, one of the elements that comes to the fore is gambling. It is in a totally different environment now, post the decision last year by the Supreme Court. What's the strategy as this sort of starts to set in for the NBA?
4: Yeah, obviously, first and foremost is integrity as this comes. But it's happening already We just want to embrace it and make sure it's regulated in the right way, but for us, we see engagement as the opportunity. Data shows that when people bet or do fantasy gaming, they watch for three times as long. So for us, that's a great opportunity to make our game more unique, more engaging for fans.
0: Um, data. You mentioned data, and I feel like every industry that we talk about nowadays is, you know, pulling in a lot of data, trying to figure out how to make it useful. What do? You, how do you guys put data to work in the NBA?
4: Yeah, it, for us to know personal things about fans so we can segment and target is is important and at the league we're very fortunate to see across all of our fans as well and so we want to be able to enable teams to to reach the person right person with the right message at the right time so it's a a big priority for us in learning as much as we can about our fans we talked about our global fans as well because we see a day where we can offer targeted products much Personalized. personalized and targeted products to fans in different countries you know we have 108 international players this year from 42 countries how can we utilize that strength that global strength the nba to deliver a fan in france something that's much more customized to them
1: That's Amy Brooks. She's the chief innovation officer over at the NBA based in New York. Uh, Down here, obviously, this is sort of her jam, uh, (laughs) technology uh, being at the center of the conversation. And I have to say, you know, one thing that became very clear over the course of that conversation and other conversations we've had, Mm -hmm. we've sort of been beating this drum. The NBA really got out ahead of everybody else when it comes to technology. Now, let's be fair. It's a very friendly game to that in yeah, some ways. It's a little more contained. It's very intimate. Uh, you know, the arenas are such that you can probably build them out in a little bit more of a, of a tech-friendly way. You're not talking about these, you know, seventy thousand seat behemoths that house the the NFL games. But um some very but, smart stuff,
0: right? And it's interesting though when we talk about you know consumers overall. There's so much competing for their time, but the NBA seems to be doing well, growing their audiences. And I thought, in terms of growing their audiences. They think of this sport; it's global, right? And they're they're playing games overseas, and they're they're growing uh, the folks that are you know tracking the games.
1: We also didn't get into this, but I certainly would uh, peg Amy Brooks as one to watch. You know, former mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. uh, so cool. walk on, I believe, at Stanford. Went to Stanford Business School. She, was a at uh, she has been a powerhouse uh, at the NBA. So you wonder, um, you know, maybe she's a contender for the top job post Adam Silver. You wonder if she. goes Goes on to do something else. She, of course, made no indication of that. This is purely something my speculation. You want to tell us, Jason? No, purely my <laughs> speculation uh, that you know this this sort of experience is, is really interesting uh, in the broader world, especially as we think about new leagues sprouting up uh, all, all yeah. over the place, whether it's in football, lacrosse, or anywhere else. Anyway, that was Amy Brooks.
0: She's got a lot of moving parts.
1: You're listening to
0: Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly. On Bloomberg Radio. Got a great conversation with, he is truly a super agent, Rich Paul, founder and CEO at Clutch Sports Group. He represents LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and more. Check out what he had to say.
1: You work with some of the biggest names in basketball, and we are at a time where the players are massive brands unto themselves. How do you balance the needs of a player, your,
5: your uh, clients, and the needs of a team in well, the modern NBA? For us, it's, it's very simple. You know, we, the game is everything for us. And that's, that's, our, that's what we focus on. So we try to educate um, the new players coming into the league and their families to have a, a very realistic evaluation of what's actually um, available to them. This whole notion of marketing... People sell that because in their mind, this is what families want to hear, this is what kids want to see. You always dream of having your face on TV, and I tell people all the time, there's no brand out there that's going to pay you $200 million, but your team will. So if it's about, what it's about? It's about notoriety? If it's about notoriety, then let's just buy billboards around your, the city you're playing in and put your face up there, and let's focus on the game, because the game is everything. It's going to bring forth everything. And so. Nine times out of ten, when you get drafted to a team, the it player is already there. Right. He's the player. And so coming in, you're not going to have the opportunities available to you that you may think or that your family may think. But if your game grows, take Steph Curry, for instance. Steph Curry, game, evolve, year seven, MVP, champion, his business grew. That's how that works, you know. Um, Everybody can't be LeBron coming in in a time where he had a $100 million contract to start and he had deals to start. But that's timing. Think of where the game of basketball was at then. Think about the the guys that the game of basketball lost. He was his new guy. Social media hurts opportunities because everyone's a personality today. So I just saw Jalen Rose and Stephen A. Smith on a McDonald's commercial. Well, 10 years ago, that's an athlete. But now the brands aren't necessarily spending the money on the athlete because they, didn't, they don't need to align with someone who's going to be on TV. Person, Everyone's on TV. Right. The smartphone is the new TV, right? So the, the three-year partnership of yesterday has became six tweets, two stories on Instagram today. That's a six-month deal.
0: So, Rich, but for somebody like LeBron, right, who is so established, who's put his heart and soul and time into the game, right? I mean, what are the conversations you have with him, though, about his brand? And then how do you play it in this kind of evolved environment?
5: Well, with LeBron, since we've been a very young man at a very young age, we've always thought about doing partnerships that align with who he was. You never wanted to get out of that and if you watch any commercial um, most brands that he had partnerships with you know, was genuine to who he was as a person, what he actually believed in and every commercial that we did, you know, it normally told some type of story his story or there was a message his message and it was always true to him. Whether it was Samsung whether it was Nike, whether it was you know Sprite, you know You've never seen him do something, and even today, I can't get LeBron off his couch for money. Money doesn't move him today. You know, and and people, when you say that, people be like, really? Because you got to think, people say, oh, you have LeBron, I, you know, how you going to have time to get a deal for me? I'm like, wait a minute, I can't get, LeBron's not moving. Today, time with his family is much more important than being, because one, one thing you don't understand, when you have partnerships, they don't want days in your season. They can't get them. They want days in your summer. So the more partnerships you have, the less days in your summer that you have. And people don't understand that.
1: So when LeBron does move, people notice, and you and I were talking before we came on, anytime he goes anywhere, people notice he's at the Duke-Virginia game, you're at the Duke-Virginia game, and all of a sudden it becomes about recruiting Zion, we're there for Zion. What's the real story about what happens next in terms of pros
5: And college. And I think that's good for TV, but the reality is just love the game. You know, no one talked about when we flew from Cleveland to Detroit and Steph Curry was playing at Davidson, nobody cared. Why? I wasn't an agent. I wasn't in the position I'm in. Obviously, he wasn't playing in L.A. Um, You know, we're there to see a game. The University of uh, Virginia, uh, its president and, and Tony Bennett took care of us. Uh, just seeing a basketball game. Well, it wasn't about anybody recruiting anybody, but what happens is people put this in the atmosphere, and they just run with it without even making a phone call. It's like, hey, wait a minute. we're not, That's not true.
1: And that was Rich Paul, really one of my favorite conversations of the day, Carol, in part because, as we said, he is in the middle of so much. He obviously also represents, as I believe you mentioned earlier, Anthony Davis, and so He uh, told us a little bit about, you didn't hear that part, but told us about the fact that basically. You know, Anthony Davis was just like putting it out there. Right, right. Saying what he wants to do. Right. But let me tell you, you watch ESPN, you read any of the sports pages, you listen to the, <laughs> the I podcast. I you mean, look.
0: there's so much controversy right yeah. over the handling of, you know, what was, I think, expected to be a move. And it didn't quite play out that way.
1: But if there's one thing we know, Rich Paul is in the middle of all of it. And given his relationship with LeBron James and it's some fun. of the players he represents, including John Wall, uh, who is who plays for. One of our guests coming up, that's Ted Leonsis, uh, Rich Paul, in the middle of everything.
3: You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol
1: Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Carol, another guy who is very much in the center of it mm-hmm. all. Ted Leonsis, chairman and CEO at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, and what that means is he essentially owns sports in Washington, D.C. He wears a lot of hats. He does indeed, and a big investor. We talked to him about owning a team, but also where he's putting his money, where the game is going. Listen in.
6: We're leaders in eSports. Um, I've been making, personally, uh, been making huge investments in eSports. I own Team Liquid with Peter Gruber owns the Golden State Warriors. How big is that
0: market gonna be? We see numbers of about a billion in twenty twenty. How how big do you think? It is say, going big?
6: to superset um, all of the leagues in terms of engagement because it started globally. It didn't start in North America or Canada. It's uh, it's something that started globally. And it's free to get started. I, I made an investment in Epic and, and Fortnite. And it's the ultimate, it's the perfect communal game, right? And, and it's kids getting together and playing a game. They survive on, on the island and they're talking with their friends and it's become a platform.
1: Did that become bigger than you thought it would I mean, that has become a juggernaut. Did you anticipate it be this big, Fortnite?
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. What is it But what is
1: it about Fortnite? Because, I mean, it really has, I think it caught a lot of people off-guard. Not you, apparently, but it really came out of nowhere to a lot of people.
6: Well, the, the management team, the leadership team of Epic is... Um, Just down the long, road here, right? Yeah, long yeah. time in that industry, and their founder CEO really has a good touch with the publishers and the studios and understanding what's going on. But what he was able to do was to make an exchange. I will give you for free a real communal piece of software that will activate friendships, activate uh, viewing. I think it's the first. First um, multi user game that was designed that would be easy to follow most of we, we play in League of legends there 's overwatch leagues yeah. so if you haven 't played the game you 're new to it, you just yeah. get dropped in front of a television it 's hard to understand what 's going on. Fortnite, you can understand it 's bite size. And and it's building a platform that's global and worldwide.
1: Okay, gotta ask you, what did Washington get right? The Washington area get right that New York got wrong when it comes to Amazon.
6: Um, I think it was a real communal uh, activity. We made sure that all of the universities worked very very closely uh, with what Amazon needed. We made sure that the transportation system was going to be modify to make sure that they came and it was just a very open and transparent kind of communication and i don't know what's happened in new york uh, but i do know that we're thrilled that amazon is coming and we'll keep the lights on for them and work <laughs> very very closely with them
0: one last question you mentioned uh, some of the investments you've made what are what what are the things you're investing in, what are the technology and trends that you find interesting that are gonna be kind of front and center for all of us in, I don't know, three, five, ten years?
6: Um, well, new food, we, we're surprisingly making lots of investments, there's a company called Sweetgreen that really is kind of, let's say, the McDonald's, we're but for this fans. generation, <laughs> and they've used technology on their value chain and how they order and how they are able to serve up information and menus. Um, it's interesting, this third wave concept of how the web is changing all businesses. Sport Radar, a company that's here. Very, very important. DraftKings, we're a big investors in uh, at Revolution. WindView, which is a company that also is in that space. And so anything around big data. Um, Tempest, a company that basically is big data for healthcare on, on cancer, being able to create a panel Um, of just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that um, can identify what are the best treatments that will give you an output of longevity and quality of life. And so it's it's the greatest time to be alive right now. You know, I said 25 years ago, today is the worst day the web will ever be. There'll be more people on, there'll be more investment dollars put in, there'll be more community, there'll be more infrastructure. And it has powered and changed every industry, every business, and all of the good that it's doing, unfortunately, sometimes gets drowned out by that small, loud uh, voice. And, Will that you know,
0: small, loud ruin it?
6: No, I, I think that most of the big companies understand that they need more regulation, that they've become too big, and that, that's fair. Uh, they certainly are creating jobs. They are paying taxes, and but regulation for many of these companies is the right thing. Um, the Uber Uber really needed to be tamed, if you will, and become part of the transportation infrastructure of the country. Drones are becoming more and more important. Well, they're going to work with the government. They're not going to be able to fly over airports and over the. There's no industry where partnership and policy and technology come together. And all policy, all roads either lead to your state house or to the White House. And I'm hoping that we become more and more thoughtful on this intersection of the web and all these other industries. And, you know, I implored the media to talk about some of the good things that are being driven by technology and not just what's happening on Twitter, right? Because Twitter's not the real world, but it's so real time. It's such a, a drug for the masses to be able to see so-and-so said this, and let's talk about that in stream of consciousness. Um, there's a lot of great work that's going on that will enhance our, our lives, enhance um, the educational system, level the playing field for young people through education, and. And I tend to be an optimist, and I think most business leaders want to have a social responsibility to do the right thing.
1: That's Ted Leonsis. He is the king of all sports in Washington D.C. He's got his hands in Carol a bunch Master. of
0: stuff, right? right.
1: We're going to have our full conversation uh, with him. It went on a lot longer because we couldn't stop talking to him. Yeah, you can hear that uh, next week on our Bloomberg. Including Extra his investments, podcast. right? Really cool yeah. stuff. In terms really of- interesting stuff. And you know, he gave, even gave a shout out to our uh, mutual alma mater, Georgetown. I'm hoping that. Uh, he can help uh, goose the results there for the that basketball team as well. They play in his arena. he should have some influence over there and he's alum after an alum after all really really fun day here yeah, in Charlotte. I, I'm just
0: finishing up some of the uh, tweets, getting them <laughs> out because we got a lot of pictures, but um, really fabulous conversations, right? Day in and day out, we're covering you know your big business stories. Sports, it's a big business. NBA, it's a big business and it's fascinating to see uh, how they're embracing technology, how they're embracing the political environment, how they're growing uh, their consumer base and it's political, uh, but it's also global and I just think uh, it's fascinating to hear some of these stories.
1: Well, and a big reminder we were talking a little bit about this with uh, Amy Brooks offset. The fact is, is that a lot of big business people, entrepreneurs, investors, they have come into this league. And as Vivek Ranadive told us you your more of that conversation, hopefully next week as well. He thought he got a steal when he bought the Sacramento Kings, and the market has so far proved him right.
0: He thought so when he bought the Golden State Warriors, and then when he bought Sacramento. So it's fascinating to see the value. We've had a great day. I hope you've enjoyed the last couple of hours. Have a great weekend, everyone. Check out our podcast. Carol Master, Jason Kelly, this is
1: Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.